Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today I'm going to do a solo cast and speak on the topic of learning to speak human. In other words, what does it look like to become the person that God created us to be, and how can that then be lived and turned into a missional lifestyle? That's, so this episode is going to get back to one of my core fundamental commitments, and that's my commitment to God's mission in the world. And I wanted to give a couple of updates on the podcast. I'm going to continue doing interviews. I'm also going to continue focusing on contemplative spirituality, deep spiritual formation, leadership, but I also want to get back to the root issue of what does it look like to to lead a missional renaissance in our day. What does it look like to model Jesus in the world? And I'm going to do this today under the rubric of learning to speak human, but at least once a month, I'm going to be doing a solo cast that specifically focuses on missional readings of scripture, missional lifestyle, and the lessons that I've learned over the long course of my ministry, including my days as a church planter, but also just the lessons that I've learned from engaging and living out the missional conversation. Before I go any further, uh, this is an exciting time for me personally on August 15th. My newest book, Astonished by the Word, Reading Scripture for Deep Transformation, releases. If you found my work helpful, I would appreciate you taking a look at that. You can find it on Amazon.com. Just look up Astonished by the Word, and you should be able to find it quite easily. Also, you can order it directly from the publisher at InviteResources.com. If you're ordering multiple copies, my publisher, Invite, does have discounts. You're going to find this book really helpful. I filled it full of... I would say my best insights that I've learned about reading Scripture, particularly reading Scripture in a way that opens us up to deeper levels of sanctification, because that's going to link directly back to mission. We have to reflect God's character in the world, and one of the means of grace that God uses to cultivate holiness in our lives is Scripture, but we have to learn to allow Scripture to read us and not just be readers of the word. So my book is going to help us to do that. I consider it uh, one of my best books, if not the best. Again, I can't uh, always judge my own things, but I'm really happy with it. I promised myself a few years ago that I wasn't going to publish anything ever again unless the process of writing it brought me to tears a significant number of times. My Centering Prayer book definitely fit that bill, and this book is the second in this series of of books that I think shows the things that I've really learned in my 54 years. So check out Astonished by the Word. Again, if you have any questions, if I could serve you anyway, please reach out to me. You can find all my contact information at brianrussellphd.com. Of course, there's a link to the book and the other things I'll be mentioning in the show notes. So let's get directly to the conversation point, which is one of my favorite topics. It's learning to speak human. A number of years ago, when I was 
in my surfing uh, era, this would have been my late 30s, early 40s, I was learning how to surf. I'd always just watched people doing it from the safety of the seashore and decided, you know, I'm going to buy a board, get a wetsuit, and I'm going to get in the ocean and learn how to surf. Now, I was never very good at surfing, but one of the fun things about learning to surf was, was the reality that my own daughter's who were very young at the time. So they were both in elementary school. And I think my youngest one, maybe kindergarten, where the story comes from, I got they wanted to learn too, so it was fun. And they did a lot better, actually, than I did. They had natural balance. They weren't afraid and things like that. And so when my youngest daughter, uh, who's old enough now that she's in medical school, so this is a long time ago, was learning to, to surf, uh, she was uh, very petite, and uh, we called her the super stick when she was growing up. And so when the super stick was learning how to surf, she was agile and petite enough that for a surfboard, all she really needed was what I would call a boogie board or a body board. And so when I, she first learned, we were at, this literally happened at Cape Canaveral Beach. You could go there today. It was at Sherry Downs Park, if you know where that is, uh, just uh, right right close to where the cruise ships go out of uh, Port Canaveral. And so we're there at the beach, we're offshore, and I'm holding the boogie board, and Katrina's literally standing on it because this thing would support her body weight. A wave comes along, and I just give Katrina just a little push into the wave, and the next thing I know, Katrina's taking off down the face of this wave like I was never able to do and she's just cruising down but it wasn't enough for Katrina just to ride this wave she had to make sure that everybody knew about what was happening to her so literally so funny she's just a little tiny girl riding the top of a boogie board and she's screaming at the top of her lungs look at me hey kid look at me look at me and I remember being both proud unembarrassed all at the same time because here's my daughter just essentially wanting the whole world to pay attention to her you know the apostle paul in philippians chapter 3 verse 17 wrote join together in following my example brothers and sisters and later on, chapter four, he talks about the things that you have seen in me and heard from me, put them into practice. So it's really interesting that Paul, not to put my daughter's words in his mouth, basically in Philippians is saying to the Philippians, hey, you want to see what a Christian looks like? Look at me. So when I'm talking about learning to speak human, what I'm talking about is not just learning how to speak language that connects with other people, but it's also becoming the kind of person that when other people would model their lives after us, they would actually be someone worth becoming. So first of all, when we talk about learning to speak human, I want to root this first of all in creation. So I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter one for a minute. When we talk about a missional lifestyle, when we're talking about learning to use language that can connect with the world, it's that has to be grounded, first of all, as a principle in the reality that every single person that you'll ever meet 
is created in God's image, and that's every person. So you can go down through your preferred list of people and the people that we tend to exclude, even if we don't say that out loud. Every person, even the persons we don't like, even the persons that disagree with us, they're created in God's image, right? We know that. But here's here's the key thing. Sometimes we find it difficult to communicate outside of our own silos, right? That's why most of our churches just end up looking pretty much just like us. Again, at some level, if we just if we even at least reach people like us, and other people are reaching people like them, yeah, you actually do slowly build the kingdom. But this podcast is about learning to be a little bit more agile, so that we can create communities of faith that actually bridge and bond people together, break down barriers, and and the the the, the key piece is. I learned this from Erwin McManus. It's like when we're talking about like evangelism and mission, you know, it's not like, oh, I need to learn how to speak to non-Christians. It's not, yeah, you because know, guess what? Guess what's in common between Christians and non-Christians? Or even different types of Christians. Guess what? We're all humans. So when I use the language learning to speak human, I'm talking about learning to speak a universal language that Scripture actually points us to. So what am I talking about when we get back to Genesis 1? Well, in Genesis 1, 26 to 31, it teaches us, and you can read those verses free on yourself. It talks about God created us all in his image, right? Now, you know, I teach at seminary, so I know as seminary professors can make things really complicated. And you can read entire books on what it means to be created in God's image. And if you've done theology, you know, you get to hear things like the political image, the moral image, you get all this stuff. But at the baseline, and I like baseline stuff, I'm a Bible professor, so I always just go back to the text. And the key thing with the text is we got to watch our tendency to overread things, right? And so when it says image, if you look the word up, it's a Hebrew word, it's pronounced tselem. And essentially what this word is, it's the word for image. Like when when the Israelites are told not to make idols, this is the word for idols. So in a sense, it says um, God created humanity in his image. It's talking about a visible representation of something else. In the ancient world, great kings... Sometimes people today do it. They would make statues of themselves. They would set up monuments to themselves. So there'd be an image. People would put their faces, Roman emperors would put their faces on coins. So the emperor's image was all over the empire to show who is the king. Well, here's the beautiful thing. Every single person was created to essentially be a visible reflection to the rest of creation of the true king, God, our creator. It's beautiful, right? So what does it look like? When you think about image meaning that, well, I think there's three pieces. The first piece, I think we already hinted at, an image points to something else, right? So there's a mission. So what I want you to notice that when when we talk about people created in God's image, that means every single person was created with a purpose, And so when we're talking and sharing the gospel in our day, you want to be thinking about the fact that every person that you talk to deep down on the inside has a longing for meaning and significance. Everybody wants to live for something bigger than themselves. 
You know, what, well, Brian, what about people who are selfish? Well, guess what? That's a distortion of all those things. And usually the things that go against what I'm going to say, it's because people have been hurt. People have been affected by sins. People have made difficult choices. And by the way, that's what the gospel's actually for, right? But just know we need to learn to speak beautiful words that remind people of their significance and the significance with which God created them and call them to something bigger. That's the mission. Well, what else is involved in being created in God's image? Well, if you look at Genesis 1 again, notice it says male and female, he created them. God created people, humans, not as solitary beings. Even in Genesis 2, it says it was not good for man to be alone, right? So God created people as a community. And that's the second thing you want to remember. Everybody wants to live a life of some meaning and significance. People, every single person also wants to be in a community where they're loved. Everyone longs for that, to be heard, to be not just a cog in some machine, which is what our modern world does, but everyone wants to be in a place where they can use their gifts, their talents, their graces, their abilities, and where they can be loved authentically and in return love other people authentically. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there's a longing for community. It's implicit in our creation. The creation stories don't imagine solitary beings. It's in the same way when Jesus announces the kingdom, right? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then what's Jesus immediately do? He doesn't just call one person to be his disciple. He immediately starts with two. He calls sets of brothers. So even in the unfolding of the kingdom story, there's never a time when there's just one. It's a community that Jesus creates. And then the last thing that's implicit in creation, when we think about learning to speak human, so we want to speak to the missional dimension of everyone, the desire for significance. We want to speak to the community, the desire for everybody to be loved. And the third thing is we want, it's implicit in Genesis 1, is that there's a, a, a commitment to holiness and character. In other words, everyone has a desire to grow into something more profound than they already are. I mean, how many times have you been around when married couples and the other person will, will say, that person made me a better person. I want to be better because I'm married to this person. That's, that's that desire, innate desire for holiness. And within the context of Genesis 1, what does that look like? It was assumed that humans were going to reflect God's character that was the mission to reflect who God is to the rest of the world, and that's by how we live. You know, when we think about what the Old Testament sets out and the New Testament affirms this, what what is the ultimate ethic? It's to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. It's to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Jesus rearticulates all of those things. So that's that longing for character. So when every person you meet then, you know that they're hungry for meaning. You know that they authentically want to be loved. And that everybody deep down knows that they need to grow into a more profound person. That gives us a baseline for communication. So when we're reading scripture, we want to think about those themes. Now, the second thing, right, so it's rooted in creation, desire to speak human. 
But how do you do that? Well, we have to get out of the four walls. And that's a cliche, obviously. But one of the things that we want to think about is we want to follow Jesus's model and break down the boundaries and barriers that separate us, especially oftentimes separate us as Christians from the rest of the world, from the neighbor, our neighbors who desperately need and long for what only God can give. Oftentimes locks us and separates us from our fellow Christians. So a key question for our missional work is going to be who's an insider and who's an outsider? What difference does it make? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. So what you want to look at, and I'm going to say more about this exact principle, if we want to be God's hands, God's feet, God's mouthpieces in our divided world. We need to take a serious self-inventory and community inventory of what are the things that divide us from everybody else. And we need to eliminate every single one of those things, except for the cross, right? The cross is the only thing that's supposed to be the stumbling stone, you know, and you can list all the things that typically are the dividing points in our community, right? And so, like, what divisions are there today? Think about politics. Think about even music preferences or geography, language, culture. Here's a question that I like to use when I talk to missional pa pastors that are thinking about doing an inventory for their community of faith. Ask yourself this. What, how does a person have to look... What does a person have to know as a precondition for hearing the gospel from your community? Think about that really hard. Let me say that again. Who does a person have to be or know as a precondition from hearing the gospel from you? Look at your own worship services even. Like, is there anything that's confusing that's not explained, right? So you're just looking for things. Again, the only stumbling block ought to be the gospel message itself, not the things that we've added to it, right? So like a natural thing, if you can't think of anything else, well, guess what? If you only speak English, and this is not to say, hey, you need to learn a million languages. If you only speak English, you at least put down, well, a person has to know English to hear the gospel from me, right? And I live in a, a multicultural part of Orlando, and so I've been at places where someone was trying to share the gospel with me, but they only spoke Spanish. I was, a person was trying to evangelize me, and they couldn't talk to me because they didn't know English, and I didn't know Spanish. So at least notice that, but it can go way beyond that. So what does a person have to know? How do they have to look? How do they have to dress? How do they have to sound? As a precondition from hearing the gospel from you. Just answering that question is going to show you some of the places, some of the unconscious and conscious divisions that exist between you, your community of faith, and people around you who otherwise would be hungry for the good news of the gospel. And in the process, you've got to be open to surprises. 
because the Bible's full of surprising places. Like think of Acts 10, where Peter learns the lesson that nothing's unclean, so he can go and share with Gentiles the gospel. Think about Ruth, the outsider who becomes part of David's line. Think of the Ninevites, the hated enemies of Israel, that in the book of Jonah, they actually repent in ways that Jonah himself wasn't willing to repent, right? So you want to think about outsiders who actually have the heart of insiders, the wise guys, the wise men, the magi in Matthew chapter 2, another example of that. So the Bible's full of stories about outsiders who are open, and what, who's the stumbling block most of the time in Bible stories? It's the insiders, right? The Pharisees, like Peter himself when he wasn't willing to talk to Gentiles. And so you just want to notice that tension, right? So who's got the bigger heart for God? Sometimes, if we're open to being surprised, it can be someone who presently is outside of our gospel communities. They might be more open to a person who's been around for years who just basically sits around on the edges. So just notice that. What's, what's, uh, who's an insider? Who's an outsider in your congregation? Paul tells us in Philippians 1.27, do this one thing. Live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. And in the book of Philippians, when Paul's using that language, he also talks about our citizenship is in heaven. What he's trying to do is subvert the ideologies of the Philippians who, in that context, privileged Roman citizenship and the privileges that it brought to them. Paul uses the language of slave for himself. And then in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is actually going to say Jesus took taking on the form of a slave. Now, that's intentional language because slave would have been the bottom of the status ladder in Rome. And Paul is saying, embrace that. Because here's the truth, friends. The status that you embrace, the status that your community of faith embraces puts the ceiling or sets the limit on your capacity to reach others with the gospel. If we put ourselves above others, well, guess what? You can't reach other people, right? And so Jesus's model is a servant model, right? The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest in the kingdom is the least in the kingdom, or the least in the kingdom is the greatest in the kingdom. Those who think they're great in this life, mm -mm, they, they become least in the kingdom of heaven. So there's this grand reversal. So it's our privileges, like what privileges are we willing to let go of for the greater goal of serving and blessing others in the name of Jesus Christ so that they can come to the cross with us and join with us. The Gospels consistently, the Gospel in the New Testament consistently subverts status in order to allow God's grace to freely flow to others. And Jesus is the model of that. Because we all know the dangers of privilege, right? Privilege sets us apart. Privilege puts us into a scarcity mode where we just cling foolishly 
on the things that need to be let go of so that God's abundance can flow more freely to everyone. Listen to the political conversations of the left and the right in this country. Both have scarcity models. That's, that's not a kingdom model, right? We don't, nobody has to lose so that everybody can win, right? It's, and we don't have to get even with people to win. We need to have that abundance mindset that Jesus models, right? It's, we embrace, we just erase status by being willing to embrace the lowest status for the sake of the gospel. The model for this is Jesus. And again, if you, this is a familiar text to many of you, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, better word there would be slave, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Again, notice the potential subversion of status. Jesus takes on, even though he's God, doesn't take that status as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, humbles himself, makes himself nothing, takes on the status of a slave. Again, the Philippians, they were Roman citizens. You know, many of us listening to this are U.S. citizens. Membership has its privileges, as American Express used to say, right? But what privileges are we willing to let go of for the sake of reaching others with the gospel? Now, here's the thing, and sometimes we miss this in this passage. Notice how it says he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus could have been crucified. Jesus could have been sacrificed in multiple ways for it to be salvific. Jesus, in God's imagination, the cross becomes the perfect symbol of all this because in the ancient world, in the Roman world, crucifixion was only reserved for the lowest persons in society. If you were a Roman citizen, you could still be executed, but you would be killed quickly, a little bit more mercifully. You would never be crucified. And so Jesus intentionally embraces a status and models this Again, boundary-breaking behavior by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Don't miss that. He embraces the lowest status for the sake of God's mission. So then what happens? Listen to what Paul says. You know this passage. This is Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Now, therefore, you know, precisely because Jesus didn't equate equality with God something to be grasped, something to be exploited for his own benefit, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names. What name is that? It would be Yahweh, right? So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, in the ancient world, whatever status you had, you had to cling to it. Because in that framework, you would never share your status. You'd, you would maybe aspire to a higher status, but that wasn't easy in those days. But you never allowed somebody under you to disrespect your status, right? People under you honored you. You didn't honor somebody underneath of you. You only honored people above you. 
So you had these Roman ideals. And there's, in other words, it was like a pizza. Like if I have seven slices of pizza, there's no more pizza. So if I give you one, I only have six. In God's economy, it's, it's an abundance economy. You don't lose anything by sharing your status with somebody else. You get everything. It's a reversal. So it's not how much you or I hold on to for ourselves, but instead the gospel teaches us, this is where we talk about that learning to speak human. We want to model a life of holiness where it's more blessed to give than to receive. How can I share what I have with others? The gospel comes to us on its way to someone else, as my mentor Alex McManus taught me. The gospel comes to us on its way to some place else. Those who have will be given more. Those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away. Notice Jesus' model for ministry and how did he did this then. So what, how did Jesus model boundary breaking? Well, if, a great place to look is Matthew 8, 1 to 17. These are the, um, these are the um, three initial miracles that Jesus does in Matthew's gospel. Again, they're hinted at previously, but three specific miracle stories. Jesus cleans, cleanses a leper. Jesus heals a Roman centurion servant. And Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. What's the point there? Well, again, these are breaking boundaries. Jesus touches an unclean person. So he, he breaks down a barrier that existed in the Old Testament law between clean and unclean. And Jesus shows that we have to be willing to break down even those sort of ceremonial ritual barriers to reach the other. By healing the Roman centurion's servant, Jesus is doing what? He's not just focusing on insiders he's explicitly focusing on somebody outside his own religion the leper was probably a jew he was an outsider by his disease the roman centurion isn't just an outsider he's an oppressor he's part of an occupying force yet jesus blesses and serves him by healing his servant and then do we have to say anything about mother-in-laws yeah, of course. You know that the point isn't it's Peter's mother-in-law, but notice what also Jesus does. Jesus breaks down a boundary between what men and women. Super significant. So again, go back to what Paul says in Galatians. In Christ, there's neither male, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ. So Jesus Himself models a ministry that breaks down barriers. And here's, and here's something to remember. When we're learning to speak human, when we're learning to live that missional lifestyle, there will always be people, often right under our noses, that are open to the good news of the gospel. There will always be people. The problem tends to be that we preset in our minds who those people are. And it gets back to the other question. What does a person have to become to hear the good news from me? If you want to grow your church, look at your neighborhood. 
And what does it look like to become Jesus's hands, feet, mouthpieces to the people that are closest to your community of faith? That includes your neighbors in your, in your neighborhood. How do you reach your neighbors, right? And so that's going to come down to this. If we want to learn to speak human, we need to learn, learn to live as clues. You know, that's the point of the image, right? Go back to Genesis 1. God desired humanity to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Because what God wants is all over all creation. And, and perhaps that even means all over the entire universe. God wants visible representations of him. Guess what? That's us. We're clues. And you put enough clues together, guess what? You get the solution. In Philippians, Paul talks about how we shine like stars amongst a wicked and depraved generation. Stars guide us. And you know, when you put enough individual stars together, you get a constellation, you get a story. So here's the thing. If we want to learn to speak human, we have to ask ourselves, if people would follow our way of life, where would they get? To whom or to what does our life really point? Who is my mission? To who or what does my life point? How does my community engage the world on mission and embody the values of the gospel? That's what it means to live as a clue. That's how we learn to speak human. If you want to share the gospel, how, is the, how has the gospel become meaningful for you and given purpose to your life? Learn to articulate and tell that story and draw other people's into that story so that they can get on the same mission. Your values, your virtues, you know, what do you live? What kind of person do you need to become even right now so that when people see your way of life, they actually see the, hand, the, the life of Jesus? And how does our community have to change and open up to be allow other people to come in and experience that authentic community that we have? couple practical steps. First, trust in God's grace. Jesus is always going before us. He even says that, right? I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus always goes before us. And you'll never meet anybody and be in any place where God's grace is already present in some way. So just trust that. Pray for eyes and ears that allow you to see others as God sees them, as souls, as persons created his image. Uh, my, one of my mentors, Bob Tuttle, often teaches, pray that God allows you to see others as if they were your own children. Of course, that assumes that you love your children, right? I have to always toss that out just in case, right? But pray for eyes to see and ears to hear others as God does. Build rapport. Learn to be normal. You know, sharing the gospel isn't a transaction. It can be as simple as um, just being friendly, being a great tipper at a restaurant, making small talk. You know, for years I've always said when you buy gas, go in and pay for your gas and just and, and just treat the person who is working the cash register as a human. Do the same thing when you order food or go to the grocery store, go to the bank. Build just build rapport. Be the person that you'd love to meet if you had their job. As always, listen and be super curious. Be open to transformation yourself. 
as Bob Tuttle also says, God always has way more invested in this than you do and I do. And you can remember that. So be confident, but be open to transformation. And others may surprise you. You may learn something from talking to someone who may not necessarily know Christ. They may have a better, deeper insight into God than you do, and you just have to be open to that. Remember the Magi. They actually saw the star that signaled that the Messiah was going to be there, and Israel itself didn't even – they missed that until the wise guys showed up. So just remember that. Be open for transformation yourself. And under all this, love your neighbor as yourself. Right, The love yourself stuff comes from real deep work. And I have lots of podcasts on that. That's where the contemplative stuff comes. But as we are loved, then we can share that same love with others. Let God continue to work deeply in your own life and recognize the need to continue to grow into the person that God created you to be. Because you, you yourself ultimately are the witness. So to learn to speak human just essentially means becoming the person that God created you to be. As Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a person fully alive. Again, my daughter, Katrina, on that day in Coco, look at me, look at me. Well, friends, as Paul said in Philippians 3.17, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. Be kind, become the kind of person that you can say with integrity, look at me. And you can learn the way of Jesus by looking at me. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you, my friends. And don't ever underestimate the influence that your life can have on others. You don't have to stand up on a stage to be a person of influence. Learn to love the people around you, and God's grace will take care of the rest. That's what it means to learn to speak human. You want a little bit more information on that, and there's always resources. I alluded to some of these things. My book, Realigning with God, has a whole chapter on learning to speak human. The fun thing about Realigning with God is it has a great price on Amazon. It's usually $2.99 for the Kindle. And so just that chapter is probably worth uh, $2.99. But if you want some more resources, check out Realigning with God. My book, Invitation from Seedbed, is a Bible study that's based on the three concepts of mission, community, and holiness, which is all involved in what it means to become a person fully alive. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me directly at Deep dive spirituality at gmail.com. If you found this helpful, share it with your friends. Until next time, show up, be present. God has way more invested in all of this than you do. Live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope to others. Amen, and we'll see you next time.